Back when I was reviewing for my board exam in engineering, I can still remember the pressure, the challenge that uh, came along with that preparation since passing the board exam is a vital factor to gain credibility. During my review days, I met a friend and I learned of an interesting experience he had in the review center where he did his review. I was told in one of their sessions they had the guest instructor who was once aboard top-notcher. As he was teaching, many of the students had questions, but apparently he couldn't address them, even getting confused with some of the basic concepts. Well, fast forward as the board exam day was about to come, a fellow reviewee of my friend was somewhat having trouble as he was monitoring his progress based on his mock exams and some other test sheets. He seems to be still unprepared. And so this student was apparently offered with some help as part of a service. As it turned out, it was an internal kind of a modus, if you would call it, wherein those who feel that they are in trouble and wants to have a sure pass in the board exam will be given a magic calculator. What that magic calculator does is that it can actually send text messages. And so during the exam, they can send in the questions, receive the answer, and there you go. That comes with a price, of course, but as it turns out again, the instructor I mentioned a while ago was actually one of them who took the board exam with that calculator. You know, tests are significant, isn't it? Not really because of the number number or letter grade that comes along with it. Rather, tests are crucial because they reveal what one becomes. In the Christian life, I also came to realize that Tests are really significant as well. Because when we face tests, it proves something about us. It proves something to us. And most importantly, they reveal what is in us. How do we go about life's tests? What are God's purposes when we allow His children to face testings? For our time together, we will be peeking into someone else's test and see the inner struggle that this man had actually went through. And in that one item exam, God asked of him this one critical question, how important am I to you? Just as God had purpose for this man to learn and understand this lesson, he also intends the same for us today, for us to learn what it means when he gives us or allows tests in our life. And this man is from no other than the patriarch, Abraham. We will be looking closely as to how he went about a very crucial and a rather outrageous test from his experience as recorded in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 to 19. This account in Genesis 22, verse 1 begins with a timestamp, and this is what it says. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham And said to him, Abraham. And he, Abraham, said, Here I am. This introduction tells us that what is about to happen next had a prior context. What things are being referred to here? Well, we can recall Abraham's journey began way back in Genesis chapter 12, where we actually admired how great of a courage he had to step out in faith and followed God as soon as he was told, get out of your country, your family, your father's house. It was a really good start for him. He even reached the land that he was told to go to. But in the very next instant, we see him moving to Egypt because of a famine. 
How is it that it, in the first sign of trouble, he easily decamps? I thought he had faith. Couldn't he not trust God to provide? Upon arrival in Egypt, we remember how he had made everyone believe that Sarah was his sister. Why did he do that? Do you remember? He was afraid that Pharaoh would kill him for his beautiful wife. Of course he would be afraid. He couldn't die just yet if he hadn't yet his promised heir, right? Oh, by the way, if you would recall as well, this episode didn't just happen once. It also happened later on with Abimelech. Not much faith right there, if you'd ask me, isn't it? Oh, if you have, have you ever wondered, why did Abraham take Lot with him when he left Ur going to Canaan? Didn't God ask him to, re, to leave his relatives, but here we see him taking his nephew along with him? Could Abraham be actually thinking, I'm not getting any younger, and I think I may be too old to start from scratch with this child-rearing stuff that God is talking about. Maybe I'll just let God work through Lot as good as my son. Well, doesn't seem to be taking God at face value. As we reach Genesis chapter 16, if this after a few years, Abraham now must be thinking, what's God, what's taking God so long? Well, maybe the descendant that God promised me will come from my own body, but through Sarah, with her age, her being barren in the first place? I don't think so. Maybe I can just really collaborate with Hagar. Anyway, it was Sarah's idea. We all know how that fiasco ended, and clearly he was trying to take things in his own hands, doing it in his own way. But at long last, in Genesis 21, Isaac finally was born. God has proven that he had fulfilled what he had promised to do all along. Abraham and Sarah for sure was the happiest. For sure, they cherished this boy like no other. And just when things looked like it was happily ever after, God now comes along, not giving an advance notice, shows up and talks to Abraham. And this is what he asked of him in verse 2. Then he, God said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. You say, what? Really? Is this necessary? Why now? You see, to us the readers, we were told that this was just a test lest we think God is being double standard or seemingly contradicting. For one, Child sacrifice was a pagan practice that was never allowed by God, as this, was, this will involve killing and taking away innocent life. But another reason is, didn't God promise Abraham he would have an heir? Isn't Isaac supposed to be that promised son? And now, God is asking for him to be sacrificed, for Abraham to hear this direct command from God, surely be a major struggle and tension in his mind and in his heart. You know, God's instruction here, he didn't just only make it specific, he even made it so vivid and striking. It must have felt like piercing Abraham's heart when he heard the words, your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. 
when we look at Abraham's life, we see how he has been clumsily stumbling over and over in his faith. And in virtually all those failings, it was driven and has something to do with his longing for an heir, his son. And now he has Isaac, and this is what God asks of him. While he does exercise faith at times, the reality is that God knew all along that his heart has been so consumed, so occupied by this hope more than anything. And now God comes along again to see, has Abraham learned his lesson? Who is more important to him? The first reason that God allows tests of our faith is that God tests our faith for us to examine what truly occupies our life's priority and allegiance. See, trials and tests are inevitable. And often they come in ways that are unimaginable, uncomfortable, unpredictable. Nonetheless, they are necessary because they reveal where we stand spiritually. That is why it is part and parcel of our journey to maturity. See, tests cause us to look deeply into our life and to validate what or who we truly cling onto. See, it's one thing to claim to trust God's word when waiting or while praying for something. But it is totally another story to trust and obey God in His word after we have received it. The good things, the blessings, the things that He has entrusted to us. You know, our tests may not necessarily follow the pattern of Abraham's, but how would you respond when God decides to take away the matters in our life that we hold dear? Things that we value the most, people that we love the most. Times when we thought all were going well, and then out of nowhere, some unforeseen dilemma comes right in front of us. Just like when you learned your health is at risk after taking really good care of it for years. When God suddenly allows a financial loss of security while you still have pending loans, responsibilities to fulfill. How about your career or your business that you have so loved and worked so hard for so long and have always acknowledged to be your most treasured blessing from God and then in one snap, gone. Regardless of the format of our test, our response will speak of the substance of our faith as to what or who we really hold on to. How much priority does God really take in your life? How important really God is? How important is He in your life? To put it in a better way, is God enough in your life? Let's see how Abraham took on this ordeal in verses 3 to 8. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and the lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, 
God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. It is very notable to see that in this next section, how the scene suddenly slows down and is painting the details of the events to depict the tension, the struggle. But what is clearly being highlighted were the actions of Abraham. First thing we notice, Abraham's timing. Right away the next day, Abraham was ready to go. But come to think of it, God didn't give him a timeline. God didn't tell him or give him a deadline when he should actually do what he was told to do. Also, did he tell Sarah? Is, it, is that the reason why he did it so early in the morning while she was still sleeping? Regardless of the details we were not told, what is significant is how Abraham obeyed immediately. In verses 4 to 6, it is interesting how the narration zooms in and draws attention to how Abraham was orchestrating and getting hold of this of his next courses of action. For one, he asked the young men to stay behind. You say, why? Uh, because those guys could surely stop him when he is going to do what he was told to do, to sacrifice Isaac. Another that you would notice putting the wood on Isaac while he would be the one to hold both fire and the knife. You say, so what? Well, he was making sure he has a hold on the items that were most important to get the job done. And besides, those wood being put on Isaac's back can slow him down in case he would try to uh, retaliate, in case that he would try to run or escape. Bottom line is, Abraham was being very intentional. He was being deliberate in making sure that he will, there will be no hindrance for him to accomplish what God had asked of him. Furthermore, in verses 7 to 8, we saw a father and son talk. And I can almost imagine this must be really difficult for Abraham. He must be really trying to maintain his composure, knowing that at the back of his mind, this could be their last talk as father and son. Yet what we see apparent is how Abraham responded to Isaac when he was asked, where is the lamb? We saw how Abraham expressed assuring words of confidence, God will provide. Even in the midst of that tension and agony that he must be going through inside of him. To sum it all up, what was narrated shows how Abraham displayed total and radical obedience out of a deep trust in God. He so believed God while not knowing how and not even getting to know the why of what God has entrusted, had, had instructed him to do. See, his obedience was evidenced by immediate and deliberate response. We see no argument or even questions asked, even if he didn't know what really lies ahead and have everything else to lose. He simply focused his confidence in God's providence. And the second uh, reason or purpose of God for testing our faith is that God tests our faith for us to demonstrate trust in Him by living out absolute obedience. God tests our faith for us to demonstrate trust in Him by living out absolute obedience. You see, trusting and obeying are never mutually exclusive. In other words, when we choose not to follow or obey, that is already as good as saying we don't fully believe. 
The problem is that our obedience is often dependent on our convenience. We try to see if it will make sense for us. We try to gauge or quantify if what we will be doing will justify what we will be gaining. And so we don't really find the urgency to obey. Often, when life is smooth or all is going well for us, it is easy to say that we trust God. But for all we know, everything changes when there is going to be a cost to it. When we know the situation we are in may end us up in disadvantage, it is harder to employ complete trust and absolute obedience, isn't it? For example, there is injustice at play and you are the one wrong. Is it easy to trust and obey God? Maybe you need to make a major decision, but you know you can cause conflict or tension in your relationship. Would you still trust and obey God? Or perhaps there are matters that you realize you need to face, that you realize you need to make right, but you also know you will gain more liabilities rather than assets. Will you still trust and obey God? When it comes to obedience, we are more passive, isn't it? If we can just let it go, so be it. And often when such events happen to us, we can't help but wonder or rant, Lord, why? Why me? Why now? Has that ever happened to you? We always want God to give us explanations. And that is why it's so hard for us to accept and believe God and take action at face value. You know, as Abraham was going through and processing in his mind and heart what was about to take place, I was thinking perhaps he was also recalling the times that he messed up and faltered in his faith. Yet at the same time, he was also looking back on those times, remembering how he was able to experience God's faithfulness and grace in his life. And by this time, he knew full well how God was true to his word and his promises, and he knew fully well that he can trust him fully and obey him fully. You see, knowing God well solidified his faith. And this time we see that without doubt, he was immediate and deliberate in his acts of obedience. And this proves his confidence in God and in his promises. He now fully grasps and embraced the truth that with God, he will never go wrong. And even in the toughest and uncertain of situations, he can fully trust and obey God. I remember the story of a father seeing three children playing on top of a high fence. He feared that they would fall, and so he cried, Come, jump into my arms. What happened was that two of them promptly did so. Uh, but the other one actually hesitated. You might wonder, why did the third child reacted more slowly? The father explained, see, the reason is because the first two were my children. They obeyed me immediately because as they, their dad, they can trust me fully. See, in the same way as children of God, when we truly know, know the Lord well, when we remember and experience His faithfulness every day, so can we also place our full trust and confidence in Him and in obedience completely do what He asks of us even in times of testing. How about you? When you know your obedience may cost you, will you still trust and obey immediately? Will you still cling tight to God and make every effort to obey fully even when the outcome is uncertain and the process may be difficult? Would you be intentional 
to obey. How well do you know God? Do you have that firm confidence to faithfully obey because you trust that God can and will provide? Well, let's see how all that Abraham did turned out in verses 9 to 12. First in 9 to 10, it reads, Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now, this comes the moment of truth, the point of no return for Abraham. See, many scholars say Isaac was probably 12 or 13 years old by this time. Can't really be dogmatic as to how he was able to stay put on that altar. Nevertheless, the emphasis was how Abraham voluntarily and willingly was getting his act of obedience to completion. See, what is most evident is how Abraham trusted and obeyed God until the very last moment. If you would ask yourself, how far would you go when God says so? And so this was God's response to Abraham's act of faith, verse 11 and 12. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. At the very exact moment when Abraham was about to plunge that knife down to Isaac, bounded on top of that, on top of that altar, with all the tension and agony he was enduring in himself, God comes right into the picture, intervenes the scene and says, Stop! Don't do it. And then Abraham, hearing the most affirming of words, Abraham, now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Two things we'd like to highlight in this statement is that first, God's acknowledgement of Abraham's fear of God. God knew and have affirmed that as Abraham withheld nothing, he indeed exhibited a genuine fear of God, that he indeed had a very high level of respect for God, that he was willing to trust and obey Him until the end, even when it hurts. You might be wondering, didn't God know? Isn't He omniscient and sovereign? You see, this encounter wasn't really for God's benefit, but it is for Abraham to know whether he really believes what he thinks he believes. Just like when we try to test a toddler, a child, testing them, asking them certain questions with regards to colors or letters or the weather, even if we know that they claim they already know, often, even if we know that, we try to test them because we know that trying to do that helps them solidify for themselves what they think they already know as well. In the same way, with this test and with God's approval and affirmation, Abraham now knew better for himself God's place in his life and the degree and depth of his faith in God and the length that he would go in obedience to him out of his reverential fear of God. The next thing I would like to point out, if you would notice, is how the writer had addressed Isaac before Abraham in verse 12. Did you notice anything missing 
compared to the first time we encountered that verse, similar to verse 2, it's actually missing the phrase, whom you love. See, in this ultimate act of sacrifice, God acknowledges that Abraham now hits this one home and he passes with flying colors. Indeed, there is nothing that comes between him and God. Not even his son, his only son. And now his supreme love, indeed, only belongs to God and God alone. See, the third purpose or reason that God tests our faith is that God tests our faith to authenticate our reverential fear and undivided love for Him. God tests our faith to authenticate our reverential fear and undivided love for Him. Through this test, Abraham was able to exemplify what it really looks like to trust God's character and promises out of fear and love for Him. You see, having a healthy and reverential kind of fear towards God is one that out of an utmost respect and high view of Him, it desires to bring God the honor He deserves, submitting to His will, to His purposes, to His plans, even amidst our pain, because we know God is more important more than anything else. To love God wholeheartedly is to have such an affection for God so tight and so strong that it will be willing to go all out for God no matter what. And one that is ready to let go of everything and anything that will come between him and God. And this one is what shows that nothing will ever take the place of God in one's life. So is the kind of heart that God so desires to cultivate in us as well. To affirm in the believer that in our times of testing and trials, they become the means for us to demonstrate how God takes priority in us and they also become the opportunity for us to testify that God is most important above all. And with that, God is honored, God is pleased, God is glorified. As attention now sets, we will now see how God resolves and settles the matter and closes this event. First we see in verses 13 to 14. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. As Abraham trusted God, God delivered once again. You might be wondering, how long was that ram been there? Well, we cannot know for sure, but most likely it was already there for some time since it had to get caught up there in the first place. Nevertheless, the ram was there as a tangible display of God's provision in the right time, in the right place. As Abraham obeyed and trusted God, as he matured in his faith, he was able to even more experience and witness God's providence in his life. He no longer see this ram as, uh, as something that's happened to be there, something that is a coincidence, but he sees it as God's way to provide. See, the phrase here, the Lord will provide, is where we got our term Jehovah Jireh. 
In its original Hebrew, it can also be translated, the Lord will see to it or the Lord will be seen. To put it in another way, this name of God seeks to communicate to us the truth that when we earnestly seek to trust and obey God, God is the one who will make himself evident. He will make himself present through his gracious providence, regardless of our situation, no matter how difficult our circumstance. But wait, there's more. Verses 15 to 19, God continues. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the shore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Abraham's obedient faith was the proof of his loyalty and faith in God. As a result, it was well rewarded by God and this indeed established his character as the patriarch of faith. God did not just provide a substitute offering to close this episode, but we see here also a reiteration of God's promises to Abraham. One thing notable is that when you actually compare these verses compared to the previous ones, how God expresses promises, you will see that somehow God expands it. Somehow God enhances his promises. See, when God restated his promises to Abraham, it was a reassurance that God's promises continue to hold and they remain true. Now that, God has, that, that Abraham has proven himself of his commitment to God, all the more now that God was securing him of what he was promised. The point here is that through this ordeal, Abraham was able to witness firsthand that God's promises are certain and they will never fail. God indeed rewards faithful obedience. And that is the fourth reason or purpose for God testing our faith. God tests our faith for us to experience Him as our provider and promise keeper. God tests our faith for us to experience Him as our provider and promise keeper. While we acknowledge the fact that God is present every day, and that He bestows His blessing upon us. But often it is in times of testing that we can witness Him even more. It is often in our testing that we will sincerely long and recognize our need to cling to God. And hence, we will more seek to faithfully trust and obey Him. And in those tough moments, it is when God's handprint of provision become more apparent, no matter how big, no matter how small His act they become more evident as well. When we live lives looking up to Him in full surrender, when we are fully sold out to His will, we will all the more realize and gain the spiritual sensitivity to recognize that God is indeed in everything. See, when we witness God's work, it allows us to gain strength. It allows us to have the confidence to face life's tests. 
because we know that we are not alone. Because we know that in the midst of all those, we will witness God's provision. And when God provides, He only gives what is best for His children and that His promises will remain true forever. All throughout this episode, which we can say is the culmination of Abraham's faith journey, we have seen God's purposes in our times of testing and the good that it can bring about when we see them from God's heart and God's lenses. That is why God knows the significance and necessity of us facing tests that He allows in our life. In times of testing, while our common response is to ask, how can I get out of this? How about asking instead, what can I get out of this? When God tests our faith, remember that God can use them for us to examine what truly occupies our life's priority and allegiance. For us to demonstrate trust in Him by living out absolute obedience. When God tests our faith, it is for us to authenticate our reverential fear and undivided love for Him. And when God tests our faith, it is for us to experience Him as our provider and promise keeper. Someone once said, a faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. God does not test us for His information. He already knows where we are in our spiritual journey and maturity. Rather, God's testing is to let us know whether we really believe what we think or say we believe. As Warren Worsby once said, our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear the unbearable, do what seems unreasonable, and expect what seems impossible. As children of God, may our lives exemplify total surrender and complete submission to God and God alone. Let us not have any allegiance come in the way between us and God, nor take God's place in our life. Choose God each day, every day, all the way, no matter what. That we will hold nothing back from Him. We can lose anything and everything but God. Because above all things, God is all we need and God is more than enough, being our faithful provider and promise keeper. Shall we pray? Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we come before you in awe and in thanks of you. We praise you, O Lord, for you are our God who knows what is best for us, even in our times of testing. We pray, O Lord, that in our times of testing, give us eyes, Father, that see how you see it. Give us hearts, Lord, that are sensitive to mold us on how you desire us to become. May we, Father God, exemplify faith that is fully surrendered unto you, loving you more than anything else, that nothing will take your place in your life and that it will be exemplified in our life fully, completely obedient to you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for being our provider and promise keeper. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.